0: Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the professor, Greg Dooley, and the pundit, Steve Clark. Men, take the mic.
1: With another episode of The Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooley and Steve Clark, we are presented by Nick Hopwood, who's a certified financial planner, founder, and president of Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. We'll hear from Nick at halftime, which may or may not be at half, but you kind of get the point. On the program today, Greg went to the NIL Summit, and he learned so much that half his material went out of date after attending there, he'll tell you some of the things that he learned and how we got invited to the summit and how we got there is absolutely fascinating.
2: Greg, good to see you again. What is going on, Steve? Hey, we're getting some good feedback on the show. Loving it. nice to hear. Loving it. Now, most of our listeners are on Apple and we got a ton of five-star ratings. So thank you for everyone who's done that. And we started to get some reviews. So Shu said, hey... The show is intelligent and enlightening. This goes on our movie poster or our trailer. Uh, Wolverine, 1983, said Stephen Gregg no Michigan sports, both past and present. Spot on. Thank you, R. Winston Jr. A great look at happenings at Michigan behind the scenes. And then from Michael, the insight and opinion on NIL was insightful and offered perspectives I haven't heard or discussed on other podcasts. So thank you, and that's the kind of feedback we'd love to hear. When you rate and review, it helps to spread the word. And not only that, knowing the IT side, I think it helps like when Apple suggests shows for people. So I appreciate that. We also got an email from Matthew, who loved the section when we were talking about old ticket stubs and all that from our previous episode, and sent us uh, pictures of a scrapbook that he bought. From the nineteen tens that had some of the tickets like embedded in the scrapbook.
1: You showed that to me and I love the photo of them first days of actually trying to put letters within the stands. Oh so you right. can see the block M.
2: Yeah, yeah. So they used to form the block M in the stands with carts and little little flags and they were actually in there. That was sweet. What else? We had a comment from David who laughed about Ohio State fans and the notion that they might tease us about our win total, giving their history of wins and some of the patsies they've played. Steve, you pointed that out. And finally, our good friend Joe Simon. You oh, know, yeah. You know what he wants? What does he want? He loves our logo for the, the new logo. He wants us to print and sign some things that he can put up in the Michigan Defenders uh, headquarters there right across from the stadium. How about that?
1: Well, of course we'll do that. Joe Simon, criminal defense attorney in Ann Arbor, MichiganDefenders.com, and WTKA's Legal Insider. Of course we'll do that.
2: That's right. Part part of the countdown kickoff. Yeah. So, And by the way, thank you to Scott Robbins. Many of you may know him from the Block Hams, kind of the cartoon about Michigan football and the culture of here. He's an awesome artist. And he was kind enough to take a few photos that I sent him of, of me and Steve from after the Ohio State game in 2021, from on the field before the college football playoff game and pre-game before the Orange Bowl and took those pictures and made our design for the professor and the pundit. So thank you, Scott. And we've got a limited run of t-shirts coming up thanks to our friends at Underground Printing. And so it's all happening.
1: It's great. And we have bigger index fingers now. We
2: do, we do, and and Reader Hop said, and, and I don't know if that's Nick Hopwood, but asked if they were touching, and hey, Hop, none of your business if they were touching, okay? We're forming a block M, if that's where your mind goes, that's, that's uh, and Gordon too, who's out there listening, that's, that's a you problem, as Colin Coward likes to say, right? That's a you problem. That's a you problem. Yeah. I agree. But my NIL class is winding down the first ever of its kind at Michigan and we are about to wrap up and i'm about, i got to create my final exam soon so we got that going on too off off the field if you will
1: but first taylor swift making a two concert day appearance in our home area of detroit and it was a happening and we quickly realized two things one this surpassed the interest of most major sporting events and even rivaled the super bowl and second greg learned some interesting information about taylor swift and the University of Michigan. Greg, both our daughters went on separate days. She survived it, I assume?
2: Yeah, she survived, had a great time. We had a little quinky dink. She met Flavor Flav, a public enemy, at the event. And I met the same dude, Flavor, before the Nebraska game. So we had that little thing in common. She had a ball. And Steve, I assume your daughter made it out of there unscathed, and her life changed forever.
1: Uh, Yeah, the the next morning she was in some sort of depression because everything has been working up to this particular day and now it's over. And it's sort of this, now what do I do with my life? Now that Taylor is done, she's no longer going to be here. It might be five years to the next concert. My daughter was living the Taylor Swift concert experience ever since the tour began, every single weekend going through it. So she didn't even know she was going. Until the day before the concert, so she's absolutely thrilled. Both our daughters had great seats, and it was fantastic.
2: And, and, and it definitely like sucked in a good way, I guess. The conversation, even at like we hang out at Oscars, which is primarily a sports bar, but it's a family place. Even the people that we pretty much reserve all our talk to sports, even there, it bled in into the conversation. Not only with Steve and I, but every, you know, our friends there. You couldn't really avoid this topic. It was that big.
1: It was everywhere. People who didn't know a thing about Taylor Swift have been talking about Taylor Swift, whether it's outside your front yard, over the telephone, social media, whatever. People clearly showing their ignorance, but people also clearly captivated by the conversation about it. Sports talk, radio, nothing except Taylor Swift. That's just the way things were going. People were telling their stories. I kind of equate it. To the Super Bowl. I was there for the Saturday night festivities before the Super Bowl back in 2004. I was there that Saturday night, the second day of the concert, just kind of milling around town, around Greektown, seeing what looked like to me Halloween. Greg. It it was everybody dressing up as Taylor, but there was a lot of people dressed up. There were other events going on in the summertime as well. There was a Motor City Pride event that was going on. People looked like they were dressed up for both occasions, so they were killing two birds and one stone. Uh, It was just absolutely an avalanche of people around the Ford Field, Greektown area.
2: Let's pray that our new benevolent dictator, Taylor Swift, is a kind person (laughs) because If she instructed all these young ladies and other fans to hop on a rocket ship and take off somewhere, they would go. And it's it's remarkable. You mentioned the Super Bowl. It's the only thing I can think of. So Super Bowl 40 was held in Detroit. Of course, there's differences, right? You can watch the Super Bowl on TV. To experience this, you had to be there. But the ticket prices were comparable, even if you add inflation and all that. The buzz was comparable. The Super Bowl, of course, had more years to plan and all the corporate sponsorships around it. But, you know, Taylor Swift did too. Uh, It's remarkable. So a little insight, I heard from a little birdie that they actually talked about doing this concert in Michigan Stadium, in Michigan Stadium.
1: Bigger venue, bigger crowd. But in Ann Arbor, is that a problem versus downtown Detroit? Obviously not. they approached Michigan.
2: Well, and y- y- who knows? I, I, this is one area I do not know, but how, how many places do they do they speculate? but obviously with the size and the scale, and it's put on bigger events like soccer events and hockey, right, which would sell out, and you can put more butts in the seat. But my understanding is, and this has happened before, so you too played Spartan Stadium kind of famously if you're from around this area. I it was, was there? It's a big deal. The Rolling Stones played Spartan Stadium. I happen to know that you two—they discussed having the, that concert at Michigan Stadium in well. So the problem is that I've always heard comes back to the stadium tunnel. No, not because there's going to be violence or fights in the tunnel with the crew members, <laughs> you right? Had to bring that up, I had to, you can't you kind of have to
1: like maybe the opening band and and the main act, you know, getting together in between and having a scruffus uh in, in the middle of that like, my opening act is better than your. you know, okay, we should be the main act i don't know
2: but because the tunnel was constructed in 1927 or really the the stadium over the tunnel was constructed you can't get semi trucks like big 18 wheelers down there which is what is the backbone of creating all these huge concert experiences if you've been to a big stadium level concert so how do we do hockey there well you can get the pieces and the boards and the ice. How do you do soccer? It's real easy. It's a bag of balls and a, and a couple of nets okay and the and the field, sure, but you can do it, but it's the tunnel that is the restrictive measure. So what do you do? You could do a, a crane or some other way, but you the expense side crushes you when you start to think about big concerts it's got to be insane.
1: one big crane to put things up and over and across, you know, 95 rows of seats onto the field. No, the, the, the tunnel makes it impossible to put a big stage event like that. I was at the, uh, at the tour for U2 in East Lansing, and I saw the structure that was not necessarily wide. It was the height of the structure because it seemed like parts of it was higher than the stadium itself. There's no way that could happen in Michigan. The only way you could do that in Michigan is to expand the tunnel. And that brings up the question, would Michigan, and let's ask the fan base, would they go for a wider tunnel? There is a certain sense of history and pride about how narrow that tunnel is, where it's located, right at the 50-yard line, one way in, one way out. In the center
2: of the arena like gladiators. the yeah. go to the, go to the games if
1: there were two tunnels that would not wash, that would not fly, that might make things safe. But the point is, you would have to widen that tunnel a lot, either from a height standpoint and lose seats over the top or lose premium 50 to 40-yard line seats wider and lower. And I just don't necessarily see that happening, but – I think these concerts are kind of starting to rival big sporting events in terms of not only interest, but the money
2: a facility can make. Well, you mentioned the money. So Michigan has made a lot of money on renting Jack Roth Stadium Club. The stadium club on the east side, right, is Mm -hmm. is rented out all the time for events. And they've had these other games. So we talk about NIL a lot in here, but that's not revenue sharing. NIL is, okay, you can go out students and go find opportunities but that's not sharing a piece of the pie but the next domino to fall is probably revenue sharing which is going to cut right into the athletic department budget so where do they find additional revenue because believe me they spend it all and it's going to be at concerts like this so they might have to get creative and start thinking about how can we use what we have better or extend our make the pie bigger of what we control you mentioned, Steve. How do you make it bigger? And by the way, the the tunnel inside is bigger than what it appears to be yes. when you, it narrows down when you get to the field. But, but I still don't think it's big enough, you know, to put a semi through. So how could they do it? I guess is the question. Like they probably have to rip that whole part of the stadium down right after the football season and blow it out and dig it up. It might dig into the locker rooms, which are in there as well a little bit. So we're looking at tens of millions of dollars to invest in this, but you still have a problem of the people that have been sitting around the tunnel, right? (laughs) Right. Where it comes out, which I believe they're extending this season that they've kind of agreed to make it a little wider, but how many people can you displace that have been sitting there in those prime seats forever? I think is the question.
1: Exactly. And that's a huge obstacle to figure out where are you going to put them? That's going to make them happier. I'm yeah. not exactly sure about that but also Michigan fan and Michigan donor who are usually older take pride about the size of the tunnel the size of the seats that type of thing well the size of the seats is a completely different story but getting rid of it's the a story though yeah <laughs> the, the width of the seats are certainly Did a story you know? especially as people get older Greg they're getting they're getting a little wider but the seats are getting a little narrower
2: so nerd alert this topic came up when the stadium was built, actually. And they've changed it since. But they actually went to Yoast and said, hey, we probably should make them a quarter, uh, you know, an inch or two bigger. He's like, ah, they'll squeeze in. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, they, no actually, they actually debated the width of the seats. And he's, ah, ah, they'll squeeze uh, in. It sounds like our airline industry, too. <laughs> yeah. So what
1: can you do engineering-wise? Could you actually do some sort of portable seating? So well... To, to like move them out so that those trucks could get through?
2: Well, don't like most multi-purpose stadiums, you can kind of swap out the stands and reconfigure it. Maybe that's a cheaper way to actually have a modular unit and move that out, wheel it out, get it out of there, or move it to maybe move it to one of the end zones or crane it, take it in a crane and put it <laughs> in the parking lot, right? Well, About 20 rows of section. And then underneath that, you have the larger tunnel. That might work.
1: So... State Farm Stadium, where we went to for the fiestable, the whole end zone seats are portable and movable, so that they could get that natural grass field.
2: Oh, right. To slide out. There was that time lapse camera. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, But
1: the entire end zone on one side is moved out, and then the field slides on rollers to, like, I guess you would call it a turf loading dock. And it slides out so it can grow naturally outdoors and get the natural sunlight and then shuffled back in. So the technology is there. I mean, what, Michigan's one of the top 10 engineering schools in the world. You could think they would figure that
2: out. That, well, that's right. We could leverage in-house expertise. Well, look, we've invested how many millions of dollars Is are the new video boards and, and you know, all that equipment. I don't think it would be more than that. But I think you'd have to be able to justify it with a big ticket concert or something on the schedule. And Taylor Swift was probably an opportunity to do that, but the, the you know, the athletic department has other priorities. I can't see a future, especially with the suites and all the all the club seating we have, that they don't think about using that stadium. The other side of it though is remember that Michigan Stadium is so close to pretty big residential area in Ann Arbor. And now they deal with eight, seven, deal to eight with game, football day. games. Yeah. yeah. So, including night games now. And they've kind of warmed up to that. So, they'd ha- definitely have to get that approval from the city council. But I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if we do it. And, and again, we're doing hockey games and soccer games and things like that already. So, we'll see.
1: And if they're taking so much revenue from just having events at the Jack Ross Stadium Club, Imagine how much money you could take if there was actually entertainment inside the bowl.
2: Yeah, and there's a smaller version of all these setups and stuff because they do use the stadium for, for commencement and all that, but we're talking about chairs in a, in a small stage. We're not talking about God knows whatever right. Taylor Swift had. You well, know, you know,
1: let's think about it. I mean, it would probably rival close to 100000 I mean, you're going to lose some of the stadium seating in one of the two end zones, but you're going to get a whole bunch of seats on the floor.
2: Yeah, I'd be really surprised, especially when you see the squeeze that I think is almost inevitable on revenue streams, that they will have to be shared with student athletes soon. The T V contract money, the shoe money, it seems inevitable. Maybe again, maybe it's delayed for but but I think if you're not thinking like that, you're gonna be behind. So we gotta start thinking about that. And I know that they do it because, you know, they advertise get married at, at Michigan Stadium and I have uh, students who work with facilities, and they just say that Jack Ross Stadium Club is being used all the time. And from what I understand, there's a rack rate to rent the stadium club, and I'm sure there's a charitable rate, but there's a rate, and it's a line item in our budget.
1: I think the most forward-thinking thing you said here in this whole conversation, Greg, was that the idea that to be able to think forward, that if NIL actually ends up being a part of a revenue-sharing program... How can the University of Michigan make money and not have to cipher a certain percentage of that into NIL? I think you're on to something.
2: And speaking of NIL, it's now time for this week in the NIL. All right, so one thing cool that I did related to NIL was I went down to Atlanta for what they call the NIL Summit. And what's that? That's like a conference around nil and it's mostly athletes it was like 80 percent or so athletes but this year they had a track just for administrators or collectives or people like me who had a, a shared interest in nil and so i spent most of my time in those sessions so you had information about collectives and the big theme was sustainability, right? Like the notion that big donors aren't gonna just fund NIL at all these big schools. You actually have to have a marriage between fans, businesses, and donors to have a meaningful and sustainable collective, which will support players, teams, all that kind of stuff. The other side of it was from the athletic department. And so they had what they call the director of NIL strategy at Kansas. They had someone from Georgia Tech and from Boise State, and they talked about kind of the importance of the athletic department having an overarching strategy, everyone being aligned from the school president to obviously the athletic department and coaches to the athletes on what our NIL strategy is, and and really creating that partnership with local businesses and beyond to create opportunities for the athletes. So very interesting stuff. A lot of strategy. People ask me, well, where does Michigan sit in all this? Okay. I learned that Michigan, and I've heard, and I think I've shared before, but I validated that Michigan, as far as the number of transactions is concerned, like the number of deals that are in the system, that we're actually very high relative to our peers, one of the highest. So that means we're touching more athletes with NIL compared to peers. The area, though, from my observation that Michigan needs work, Is that strategy piece? Okay. And what is our strategy? What is our tolerance? How involved are we with local opportunities and businesses? Do the coaches have clear direction? And I think, Steve, between us, we're a little behind there, okay? And I I talked a little bit about this with Sam Webb, but I don't think that's a surprise to people. But I do think it's it's an issue when when people say, Well, Professor Dooley, you're looking at this, is Michigan behind? I think we're behind on the overarching strategy, and I think it's critical.
1: One of the things I figure out is that the South has been doing this for so long, and I just say the South is a geographic set of schools, not necessarily naming any schools in specific, but they've kind of had a heads up and a head start on this already with the players and the shakers and the movers and the people, and people agreeing with one another, whether it's a department, compliance, athletic, whatever, they're all kind of together. This is sort of new at Michigan. So there's a lot of different thoughts and philosophies trying to mesh and come together. And you found out that there was a couple of schools where there are multiple people involved with multiple different directions, but they come together under a unifying bond.
2: Yeah. What's another name for that? That's a strategy. That's a collection of people, like-minded people with same interests. Michigan is very far from that was far from that. And it's a different place, right? But there's work to be done. And I I can tell you this, that Michigan is working on it. Okay, Sam revealed on the radio that there's a consultant who's working with the athletic department. I've met with the consultant. He's an impressive guy. He's asking the right questions, and he's talking to the right people. And I think it's going to bring positive news. The other thing I've mentioned before is that I think you'll see the fundraising efforts, especially in the month of June, get dialed up a notch by, say, prominent coaches. Let's just put it that way. So I think there's good news to come. Obviously, we've done pretty well in recruiting in football. We've seen some positive momentum in the transfer portal with basketball, finally. But it doesn't mean that Michigan doesn't need a strategy, doesn't need to do better, because there's still a lot of people walking around that are confused. So
1: is Michigan ahead in certain sports within its
2: own university? What has happened was because we had a kind of a greenfield grassroots effort where maybe schools in the South weren't paying their gymnastics players, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I think what you saw is collectives pop up with an interest of saying, who can we help here? Where can we find these opportunities? And didn't just look at basketball and football. So I think you've seen that and that benefit. So it's all good. The future's positive. I think we will be in a good direction and I'll have the support of the community. Greg, what do you
1: think needs the most work? Recruiting, which you say is doing pretty well, especially in football, or retention?
2: Yeah, so when you talk about retention, as it relates to NIL, we did, relatively speaking, well, however you rate these things, with the One More Year Fund, which is organized by Jared Wangler's collective and supported people like Blake Corum to come back, to have a financial incentive, say, to come back, but align them with opportunities, right, and and compensate them with NIL, which is all legal. So it seems like we're doing pretty well there. The recruiting side is more about having an established reputation and program and partnership with local businesses, where I think it comes back to strategy, where I think we can do better, where families understand here, I'll just say it, the director of NIL strategy at Kansas, and of course we know Kansas because that's where Hunter Dickinson landed. Yep. Said they have conversations with the recruits and their families. Well, how can they do that? Is my understanding of the NCAA guidelines? You can have a conversation with the family. They all have questions. Like I heard about this deal. I heard about that. Can we do this? Can we do that? You can have a conversation. Says this is what the rules are. These are the relationships we have. Here's our experience executing NIL at Kansas. Here are examples of athletes who've benefited from NIL. And how we've made it work at Kansas. You can talk about all those things. I think it's a gap right now for Michigan in that space.
1: And it's important to have a well balanced presentation from everybody involved because you could tell there was just some rookie infancy in all of this. For example, Jaden Rashada, who was offered $13 million and it fell through pretty quickly. By then, he decided to commit to the University of Florida. Then when it fell through, he asked to get out. University didn't necessarily have to do that, but it was in their best interest to do that. And everybody had egg on their face in the entire situation. The better prepared you are, you're not going to sound like a rookie organization trying to get this done.
2: But if you have someone within the university who is involved with the collectives and the businesses, ultimately, they can be the ones that hold people accountable because... If there are problems with athletes either getting burned by agents, marketing agents, or deals fell through, or the other way, they didn't show up to something they were supposed to do, or they didn't do the tweets that they were supposed to tweet out. They're, none of them are on Twitter, by the way, <laughs> to age myself, but if they didn't do the Instagram posts or the TikToks, it's going to come back to the university anyway, Steve, especially, I mean, at Michigan, it's going to. Whether through the press or if it gets out there, someone at the, at the university has to be that traffic cop or that organizer, that collaborator that brings people together to have a conversation because there are going to be problems. But the other side of it is looking out for the welfare and development of student-athletes. It matters. There's almost a 1,000 at Michigan. So if they're getting burned or promises are broken, who's that coming back to? The NCA isn't going to say the collectives should fix those problems. They're not going to pray that agents come in and be better and hold them accountable. They can't do it and they won't. It's on the institution. And so the institution needs to have that strategy and have those places and those, those checks and balances in place. And that, per, frankly, if Florida with, uh, with Rashad, yeah, yeah. UF. It, if they had that person in place and promises were really made and publicly made. You'd like to think, first of all, that's illegal for recruiting if promises were made. So that's why they weren't involved. But if you hear things about that happening, you'd at least like to get in front of it. If a collective goes out there and promises a student athlete something before they've committed to Michigan, the NCAA doesn't go after the collective. The NCAA has the power. They wrote it. They go after the school. A collective is the same thing as a booster and they go after the school. So you better be in front of it, is all I'm saying. Right. Uh,
1: I I think there's a growing sentiment just from the common people who are following college football that feels it's all pay-for-play anyway, even though that it's strictly against the rules. One of the things they did say is you
2: can't do pay-for-play.
1: But I think everybody's starting to assume that it is. It's just how are people
2: working around it? The two things they said are recruiting inducements and pay-for-play are the two things you can't do. And again, the problem with pay-for-play is how do you define the boundaries of a service provided for compensation for someone who's already at a school an endorsement of a collective itself hi i received half a million dollars from this collective they're great you should consider them signed player who just got half a million dollars that's an endorsement it's really hard to put a value on that they got half a million dollars for it now where the federal government has come into play is on the charitable collectives and they recently put out new guidance to to really put charitable collectives on watch and on notice and even suggested some boundaries about where they can operate or not, but gave themselves the power to stop the practice of donors getting tax deductions for NIL collectives, which I think is going to be, An interesting, really interesting thing to see how this plays out. Who is the charitable collective in Ann Arbor? So Jamie Morris Stadium in Maine, I believe, has a nonprofit. It took me to teach the NIL class to me to to learn some of these tax codes, right? (laughs) Which is great. But, you know.
1: You didn't know what you were signing up for. uh, I've
2: got to be a tax specialist now. I will say that for students, they're exposed, right, to this whole new world of having to file taxes. Some of them have to pay quarterly taxes, These are things that were reserved for many of us until our late or, you know, 20s when we actually had to take that seriously. So it's happening. But there is a distinction between nonprofit, 501c3 organizations, where people who support those organizations can get a tax deduction. Then you have not-for-profit, which is different. Not-for-profit, for those type of organizations, you don't get the tax deduction. What it is, is they're a functioning operation, but their profit gets put back into the business itself. So Jamie Morris, I believe, uh, Stadium, of Maine has a nonprofit arm. And then the whole foundation of Hail Impact of that program is a nonprofit tax deduction eligible 501c3 approved or, or pending organization where you donate, but the players ha- have to do some charitable work. They have to take some educational courses. Some of the money goes directly to the charities. That is a program, and we'll see how they respond to this. My hunch is is that they feel like they're not exposed or harmed, if you will, by the new IRS tax guides they've given on NIL. but we'll see how they handle it. I don't know. i th- These are for between the IRS and uh, legal experts and things like that to sort out. And then of course, what really matters, Is what is the NCAA or the IRS actually enforcing, which is what it really comes down to? Are we going 72 and a 70 or are they saying, no, 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 you can't do that?
1: Yeah. And as a pundit, pundits, we are. That's you. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) We're changing from just commentating on sports to we have to be able to break down video like we're coaches to being ethicists to being up on tax code situations in the, I mean, it's just amazing what we're being asked to do now and try to speak confidently about it. And well, I got to admit, it's just getting tough.
2: Well, it cracks me up because it's a great point because at this summit, they did a lot of what if scenarios and I'm finding myself like it's a limerick and I'm like, well, you can't do the first part of that, but the second part's okay as long as you do this, right? I'm kind of fisking it and going, well, you're okay as long as you don't say this. These types of conversations are happening a lot. But I keep running through into these scenarios. We didn't even talk about Title IX. But there is a slippery slope where as more athletes are harmed or wronged, that if more of that falls on the athletic departments to help solve, manage, and they're getting more and more involved with NIL for that reason, then Title IX becomes more of a reasonable area of complaint to go, okay, are you just supporting the football team or are you supporting everybody? And nobody wants a Title IX complaint filed. It's horrible publicity. It's bad for society, I'd argue, in the first place. It's a huge headache for athletic departments, and it probably should be if you're out of compliance.
1: Well, Greg, speaking of taxes, it's halftime on The Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooley and Steve Clark. We're presented by Nick Hopwood, a certified financial planner. He's also the president and founder of Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Nick, you're known as Mr. Roth because you have expertise in traditional and Roth IRAs as well as 401ks. Can you describe the differences?
0: Sure. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate the nickname. (laughs) Mr. Roth. So a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k differs from a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k by when the money is taxed. All the other rules and, and structure and design are the same. But on a traditional 401k, which most people have been contributing to, the money goes out of your paycheck on a pre-tax basis. So for example, if you have a $100,000 salary and you added $10,000 to your 401k, on your 1099 or on your W-2, it's going to say $90,000. That's the only amount that you're taxed on. So the money goes in pre-tax, gross tax deferred, but then you're going to have to pay taxes on that in retirement. Whereas a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, the money is deposited into the account after tax and it grows tax-free forever. So on the traditional, you you pay tax on the back end and on the Roth, you pay tax on the front end.
1: Thanks, Nick. We'll have more in-depth conversations with the advantages of Roth IRAs in the upcoming weeks. But if you can't wait, go to peakwm.com or call 734-681-7575. That's peakwm.com. Yeah,
2: yeah so the, the summit was worthwhile. Oh, it was awesome. And again, I just just the just the fact that, A, this is my job, and B, that I'm sitting there and really enjoying the content. It's always great to see things and hear things firsthand too. It's nice. As far as I know, they didn't have like a lot of options to see this stuff. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I would definitely do it again.
1: Well, especially the way you got down there, because this whole thing about the (laughs) summit, you have to paint the picture for us. I'll start it off. This is a summit that you weren't aware of until a couple of weeks before it was happening, and you were at an event where you were networking and you were meeting people, and somebody said, hey, are you coming to this summit? And you basically went, what summit?
2: yes it was basically like that i knew this conference existed but if you held out a map i couldn't tell you that i thought actually it was somewhere else but it was in atlanta and that's exactly what happened i was at a function and oh you're the guy that teaches the nil class in michigan that person actually knew john Bacon, introduced me to somebody else who happens to be a donor at another school not at michigan and that is absolutely the truth this was not a michigan donor. And I got invited to ride down on this donor's private jet to the summit. He okay. said, "Be my guest," in Atlanta, at the summit. And my immediate answer was, "Did I waffle on that, Steve, or did I?" Did I, ha- did I have to send some text? <laughs> I, I, no, I, I flashed the I flashed the yes sign pretty fast on that. I mean, how does a
1: complete stranger invite you to be on his jet? Dad,
2: are we really? Willing- the game hey you guys doing okay
1: dad it's john alway
2: i'd like to say i'm super charming uh <laughs> but i don't we all know that's not true it was i i don't know I, it, was, it was a very generous offer obviously Absolutely. um so no did, so cool. did he did
1: sweet. he ask this in a way like hey i've enjoyed our conversation why don't you come with or did he just Say, come on my jet like it was a
2: throwaway line. It,
1: like half the things we say on this. This program. was
2: it's a, this was an amazingly short conversation. It mm-hmm. was almost high. You, oh, I teach a class at Michigan. Oh, that's cool. Are you going to the summit? Let's go on my jet. Well, I'm gonna badge it to the game. You're welcome to join me. Like it was, it was almost like and, that. And you, then might you heard
1: my... nothing else after that. And
2: I, I still haven't. So <laughs> My ears are still
1: ringing. So basically, everything after that was like in the cartoon Peanuts.
2: <laughs> well,
1: you had like about a week and a half, two weeks of lead time between first yeah. asked and, and this happening. So essentially, any time that Michigan Athletics and NIL came up, this, this, this is what was echoing through your mind. <laughs>
0: very good very
2: good Yeah, I you know, I was hoping that it would happen obviously, and I got in touch after this this encounter, confirmed, you know, our plans and it happened and Steve it was everything that <laughs> that you would think it was. <laughs> um you know, obviously, I'm not, I'm not giving specifics, but let's just say a very, very generous offer. And this was like a succession like Jet. This wasn't like a private plane. This was like the real deal. The so Black
1: Escalades were, were dropping you off or waiting were, for you?
2: They were. It was the whole deal, and it was a ton of fun. And honestly, just very grateful. I would go down to the summit, Steve, however, in 2024, even if I have to take, begrudgingly, a commercial flight down there or so, wherever it is. I'm not even sure where it is.
1: I have to say, and, and I don't blame you. you, You know, this is kind of shocking. This is not something you've ever done before. This no. is your first corporate jet ride. You were asking yourself questions and you probably were wondering about a certain amount of etiquette that takes place on jets. And you found that, that some of the rules are, are not too many, but easy to understand.
2: Right. There was one rule. One rule. Don't sit... In the owner of the plane seat, <laughs> no, and sir. you don't know what that seat is. You don't.
1: There's no name tag or plaque that signifies there, there what it should seat be. Is. Though
2: I would think it'd be like LeBron's throne from the Sports Center commercial or something. Yeah. No, there's no. There's seats. Just don't sit in the owner's seat. That was one piece of advice I got from from the experts at Fraser's Pub where we were having. A- <laughs> <laughs> Wait a yeah. minute. The experts at Fraser's yep. Pub talking about corporate jet seating. Oh, yeah. Very, you know, knowing nods. Yep, yep. Sizing me up. Yep. Just don't sit in the owner's seat. That's so all. what did you do? So I, it, it wasn't a problem because the owner's car pulled up, mm-hmm. as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. They piled out and they were on the plane beforehand. I slowly waited, just in case the owner went up to the use of the bathroom on the plane or something. And when I arrived on the plane, the owner was sitting in a particular seat, and I chose another one. So I I felt good about it. But that was the advice I got. That how, was it.
1: How many were on the plane? Uh, you, there was a handful him, of us.
2: Yeah, there was and a, there, handful, a few people. A few people, but it 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 had room. Stephen
1: had room. <laughs> was there? Like, you saying I could have gone?
2: Yeah, you could have gone. Oh. Yeah, was, it was it was amazing. I, and uh, yeah, it is it's something else. SUVs and off, Mach And you don't have to go to Hartsfield Airport and deal with that situation. Oh, you
1: didn't have to. You didn't have to be at the big airport. No, 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 no.
2: no. We're on a small airport plane. SUVs right out of the stairs and gone, and off to the hotel where the summit was. Yeah, that's how sweet it is. Dress code? No dress code. That was also Fraser's Pub. What do I wear? Uh-huh. Do I have to rock a jacket? Um, tuxedo, perhaps, like James Bond. See, see. Right? Is this, Mon- is this Monte Carlo? No dress code, as I was told. Casual is fine. Now, I'm not going to wear shorts, and I'm not going to take my shoes off, you know, and do bare feet. <laughs> Like, which I think some people don't like on normal planes. Go
1: number two in the bathroom before the nope, jet.
2: I'm not. No, I'm, I wouldn't. Either. I didn't even get out of my seat on either way. That was that's smart. Yeah,
1: you didn't try to fly. You didn't try to fly the plane. <laughs> 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 hey, let me let me touch the wheel for a second. Could I please?
2: Yeah, it was. I can handle this. It was amazing. I was in the navy. I must say, I was very, very grateful. As someone who really gets stressed, I, you know, it's one of the things I've. I feel like I've become more chill in my older age, but I still really get stressed out going to the airport to the point where I get teased by my kids and wife when we travel somewhere about how how somehow I start walking like I'm in New York City. You know, like the, like the gear goes up and I'm pointing and I'm, you know, the, it's time to board the plane and I'm pushing old ladies out of the way, you know, to get to get my seat and i just lose myself and but i will say i was super grateful it was cool so once you
1: got off the plane you were with the group that went to the summit and did you feel like i need to hang around these people or do you just separate for a long time and i'll see you back for the pickup or you know you don't want to be like cousin greg Right from Succession, you You don't want to be Cousin Greg, where you're kind of hanging out, and all of a sudden (laughs) joining their circles and their conversations that weren't clearly meant for you, even though you went on the same plane ride and you're going back on the same flight. There's got to be some sort of okay, I'm off on my own. Or did you know anybody else there? Did you become the loner
2: at that point? I did know some people, people there. Danielle from the athletic department was down there. We didn't hang out, though. Some of the student-athletes that I know from my classes were down there. There was kind of, to answer your question, there was kind of a, a question like, hey, do, do, you, do we all want to hang out while mm-hmm. we're here? And we weren't there very long. We were there a day and a half, which is, again, what you can do if you have a private chat. You can kind of just come and go as you please. Uh, But we kind of agreed we'd have meals together and that kind of thing. And that was about it. And then from then on, it was, are you going to the 1130 session upstairs? Are you going to this one? Right. That was it. Get off the place, So, uh, guys, uh, I was thinking about dinner and, um, you know, Quad Squad. This is me? Yeah, yeah Quad Squad. What do you guys quad, think quad, about dinner? I, I found mean, a steakhouse in Buckhead. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> they have this... I heard
1: it's really good. The broadcasters talk about it all the time during the Final Four. Yeah,
2: yeah. If you need ideas. If you need ideas, so...
1: Uh, is there an after the plane party
2: or... You know... <laughs> I would... I'm up for it if there is. But, you know, I have to go back to Fraser's to find out if there's, well, if there's post-flight yes. etiquette.
1: So, obviously... Because I've never, I did have a I've never really written in first class, so I was not a part of this committee at Fraser's that you went to. So you found people who you know that may have been on a corporate jet or two to come together at Fraser's with you. So I
2: had PJ advisors. Yeah. Private jet advisors. They all came Frazier's out to Fraser's to, to help guide you. They helped guide me and they didn't uh, put
1: you on hold. They said, No, I got time for you to meet out at Fraser's to give you some
2: it's a etiquette. Well, they're probably concerned about someone like ruining it for the rest of us. So they were probably motivated to like set me straight, you know, on, on, the, on the game plan and the rules. So grateful to those Ruined guys it for too. the
1: rest of us. So there's, yeah. a, there's a clan, there's a clan of people who occasionally get invited on a whim to a corporate jet and they don't want you to ruin their experience.
2: Yeah. And I'd like to say that I, I did or didn't ruin it, but let's just say I, I haven't seen any recent... Invites to go any more jets, so uh,
1: well. But nobody toe board at
2: at one flight. So
1: nobody's giving you any hate mail about how you've ruined it for the rest of them. No, I tried to be pretty chill. So it was awesome. You're not Rutgers.
2: (laughs) I am not Rutgers. Uh, I have not. Put
1: that on your name plate now. I am not Rutgers. Yeah, part of
2: your bio. Uh, Yeah, that would be a clunky podcast name, you know. But no, that we are not. I am not Rutgers, as far as I know. It was a blast. The summit was awesome. I did. I got a lot out of it. Actually, I got a class and a half of content to talk about. I got a couple of things to write about on Invictus.com, And I made a few connections, including with some of our rivals and some of the directors of NIL and other schools. So I got that going for me, which is nice.
1: Well, that's going to do it for the professor and the pundit. We're presented by Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner at Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Thank you again for joining us. A reminder to please subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends. The show is available wherever you find your favorite podcast. And remember, Michigan football, back-to-back Big Ten champs, winners over Ohio State and Michigan State. Go Blue! Go Blue!